Chapter Three of Habits That Handicap. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther. Habits That Handicap by Charles B. Towns. Chapter Three: The Drug Taker and the Physician. The doctor who begins to take the drug in order to whip his flagging energies into new efforts finds the habit fastened on him before he realizes what has occurred. His endeavors to reduce his daily dosage fail, and he becomes thoroughly enmeshed. His acquired tolerance for the drug has brought about so great a physical change that deprivation or even reduction of dosage is intolerable. Hundreds of cases where physicians had experimented with the drug with these disastrous results have been brought to my attention. No one shows less foresight, less appreciation of the danger of tampering with drugs than the physician himself. I am constantly amazed by the fact that any doctor will take even the slightest risk of becoming a drug user. That many voluntarily incur the peril passes my understanding. I have seen an astonishing number of physicians who, for various physical reasons other than exhaustion and the need of stimulant, considered themselves eligible to experiment with drugs. It is a curious thing that, as a class, physicians and surgeons themselves, singularly averse to submitting to surgical operation, even when symptomatic indications strongly urge it. Why surgeons, in particular, should so generally dread the application of the knife in their own cases is a puzzle, for, of course, no class more thoroughly understands the need of surgery. I could mention many cases of this sort, but one in particular recurs to my memory. He was one of the most careful and best-informed doctors in the country, and he was not without a certain special knowledge of the peril involved in habit-forming drugs. But he suffered from a painful rectal trouble, and although he considered himself too intelligent a man to go too far with a dangerous substance, he did go too far. He had thought that he could leave drugs off whenever he desired he found that he could not. The Physician Who Takes Drugs It is impossible to make even an approximately accurate guess at the proportion of physicians who are drug users. Everywhere except in New York State, physicians can obtain as many drugs as they desire without publicity and without laying themselves open to any penalty whatsoever, even if their purchases are brought to official attention. No medical organization takes any cognizance of drug-taking physicians or provides any medical help for them. It is highly probable that the New York State legislation may uncover some of the drug-taking doctors in that commonwealth, though this is by no means certain, since legislation in force in only one state cannot effectively put a stop to the illegal importation of habit-forming drugs from the other states and countries. Proper restrictive legislation of sufficiently wide scope would very quickly disclose every drug-taking doctor in the nation and either force him to correct his physical condition or drive him from the profession. Proper general regulation of the traffic and consumption of habit-forming drugs will aid tremendously in freeing the medical profession from drug-takers. Until this general regulation exists, no general reform will be possible. An exact accounting for every grain of habit-forming drugs which he purchases, possesses, or administers, 
must be demanded of every physician in the United States before this evil can be entirely abated, and this accounting among physicians will be impossible until a similar accounting is demanded of every grain imported, manufactured, and dispensed by wholesale and retail druggists. Concerning the extent of the hold which the drug habit has upon physicians, I have had a rare opportunity to judge. Not only has my dealing with the drug habit been exclusively as possible through the physician rather than through the patient, but the brevity of my treatment and the privacy that my patients are assured make it possible for many physicians who have become afflicted to come to me for relief without arousing in the mind of any one a suspicion of the real cause for their brief absence. I therefore feel that I have a firm basis for accuracy. It is the fear of disgrace which has driven hundreds of physicians from bad to worse with the drug habit. They become apprehensive that any effort tending to their relief will uncover their position to their families, associates, or patients, and thus bring ruin. So they have drifted on from bad to worse. Many who have not taken steps in time have reached the irresponsible and hopeless stage. To the medical profession, in general, as well as to the public, these men are a dreadful menace. Attitude of the Profession I, a layman, have been greatly surprised that the medical world shows so little sympathy for these unfortunates. This seems to me to be specifically reprehensible, since by this neglect they imperil the public. No greater service could be rendered to mankind by the medical profession than a concerted movement of the medical organizations towards the care and relief of those among their drug-taking members who are still susceptible to help, and the exclusion from medical practice of those who have already gone too far to be reclaimed. Physicians of this class, who are without means, are specially entitled to sympathy and help, and this service will be of double value for it will not only give them necessary aid but will notably safeguard the public no physician should be permitted to practice who is addicted to the use of habit-forming drugs or who uses alcoholic stimulants to excess but whatever is done in regard to these men should be accomplished without publicity and without any loss of pride or standing a doctor who has used either drugs or alcohol is much more to be pitied than blamed the worthy practitioners, and there are many, who must resort to the use of drugs in order to enable them to practice, despite some physical disability which cannot be eliminated, are no less numerous in proportion to the total number of physicians than similar cases are in relation to the total number of lawyers, merchants, or journalists. But because of their work, they are far more dangerous to the general public. It seems to me that there is in this fact the existent non-elimination of such perilous characters from the practice of medicine and the obvious very real necessity for an elimination a suggestion for some person of philanthropic mind if the medical profession will not care for its own then someone else must care for them it occurs to me that among the people whose naturally fine impulses are leading them toward the endowment of institutions for the care of the aged maiden lady or superannuated teachers, or others to whom fate has been unkind, there are many who might well consider this great need for the establishment of a comfortable institution in this country for the care of physicians who
who through no fault of their own have become unable to practice their profession with profit and efficiency. How the doctor becomes a drug-taker. The doctor's yielding to the drug habit is a simple process. In ninety-nine cases out of a hundred, unaccompanied by any unworthy tendency towards dissipation. In another part of this book I make extensive reference to the fact that nowhere in the textbooks by means of which the medical students of the world receive their education is any proper attention paid to the psychology of the drug habit. We may assume that a doctor, having lost sleep because of a difficult case, is confronted on his return to his office by another that demands immediate and skilful attention. He is tired, and very likely he himself is ill. He cannot yield to his worries or illness, as he would demand one of his patients to yield. He must brace up. He knows that in the stock of habit-forming drugs that he uses in his profession lies the material which will brace him up. He tries it. It succeeds. This doctor has begun to nibble at the habit, and he does not know his danger. He himself does not believe that one or two or a few doses will fasten that habit upon him. He finds that a certain dosage produces the necessary desired result upon the first day. He is stimulated to new efforts in behalf of his patients, and because those new efforts are the result of stimulation, they produce abnormal weariness. This exhaustion must be overcome, and the result is another dosage of the drug, and this time the dosage must be larger than the first, for both his toleration for the drug and his weariness have increased. Only a few days of such experiences are necessary to fasten the habit upon him. I have often endeavoured to imagine the thrill of horror which must chill a doctor's soul when he finds that this has happened. His position is a dreadful one. He has lost control. He must tell no one, for if he tells, disgrace and the loss of his means of livelihood will be but matters of a short time. He knows nothing of any means of real relief. He cannot help his family. He is familiar with the dangers attendant on the fake cures which are widely advertised. He is confronted by a stone wall. He must either continue his dosage, thus enabling him to keep on with his practice, or he must accept ruin and defeat, and to continue his dosage is the easiest thing imaginable, for the drug has been by law entrusted to his keeping and is close at hand. Another doctor, who is specifically susceptible to drug addictions, is the one who has been accustomed to alcoholic stimulation. Any doctor who drinks alcohol, when he finds himself beset by arduous labor involving loss of sleep, or is confronted by cases of such a complex nature that they involve a great deal of mental worry on his part, is likely to drink more than usual. Thus, work and worry the two things which make him most liable to the effects of any stimulation are likely to drive him into overstimulation. Overstimulation results in super-nervous excitation. The victim finds himself unable to sleep. He finds his hand tremulous. He finds his thoughts wool-gathering when they should be concentrating with intensity upon his work. In his pocket-case there is his little morphine bottle. He knows its action and when called to see a patient while under the influence of alcoholic stimulants, he attempts to steady himself by the administration of a small dosage. The result is virtually instantaneous, and at first marvelously effective. 
he finds himself enabled to do better work than he has done for years, and more of it. The remedy seems magical. He tries it again and again. The man is lost. Such instances as these have produced the most utterly hopeless of the many cases of drug addictions among physicians with which I have come into contact. Types of Drug Users Specifically numerous among drug victims are physicians in nose and throat work, where they make daily employment of cocaine solution. Some of the most desperate cases of drug habit that I have ever seen among physicians have come from this class, made familiar with the constant use of the drug by the necessity for continually administering it to their patients. Another physician who is specially liable is the man who suffers severe pain from a physical cause that he knows can be removed only by resorting to surgery. The average doctor will postpone a surgical operation upon himself until his condition has long passed the stage that he would consider perilous to any of his patients. While he postpones it, he is suffering, and while he suffers, he may be more likely to continue his practice through reliance upon the stimulation and pain-deadening qualities of habit-forming drugs. Concerning the true and insidious nature of which he usually knows no more than the average layman. There have been a few cases of physicians who have yielded unworthily to drugs and opiates as a means of dissipation. I have known some physicians, for example, who have been opium smokers. In the United States, the opium smoker is invariably unworthy. Not long ago, the New York police raided the apartment of a physician where were found thirty or forty opium pipes and more than a hundred pounds of opium, either crude or prepared for smoking. I have known fewer than half a dozen physicians whose drug vice was purely social, however. The victims of a drug habit who achieved it through a tendency toward dissipation are almost invariably denizens of the underworld, and if it were not for the fact that the contagion of their vice may spread, they might well be permitted by society to drug themselves to death as speedily as possible. We shall entirely disregard the physician who becomes addicted to the use of drugs through unworthy tendencies and consider only the dangers to the profession and the public latent in the case of the physician who becomes addicted in the less reprehensible but more dangerous manner that I have indicated. Not only will such a drug addiction injure the doctor's practice and threaten his career, it will surely constitute a threat against the welfare of his patients, not included in the possibility that though he may miss engagements, write improper prescriptions, and make mistakes of many kinds. THE DRUG-TAKING PHYSICIAN A MENACE A very serious danger lies in the psychology of drug addictions. The person who has taken a habit-forming drug for the purpose of relieving his own pain, and through it has found that relief which he sought, is almost certain to become abnormally sympathetic to the suffering of others. It is a curious fact that this doctor will be more likely to administer the drug he uses to his patients not with malicious, but with probably friendly intent, and that he will feel no scruples whatsoever in acting as a go-between for drug users in general who find themselves unable to obtain supplies easily. He will do what he can to help confirmed users to obtain their drugs, even if he makes no profit out of it. 
he will write prescriptions for them in evasion, if not in violation of the law. It is a curious and tragic fact that the drug-taking doctor will spread the habit in his own family. There have been many instances in my hospital when I have had a physician and his wife as patients at the same time and on the same floor. In every one of these instances, the drug addiction of a wife has been the direct result of constant association with the drug-addicted husband. No more dangerous detail exists in the psychology of drug users than their almost invariable tolerance for the habit in others and their sympathetic willingness to promote its spread among those who suffer pain. In the underworld, the drug habit never travels alone. Through it, the woman who is a drug user holds the man whom she desires. Through it, the male drug taker holds the woman whose companionship he finds agreeable. It is a curious fact that while in the underworld the drug habit has become a social vice, especially in the case of cocaine, and is frequently a proof of mixed sex relations in the upper world, it is accompanied by a secrecy of method and sequestration of administration that characterizes no other form of vice. The difference between the psychology of the doctor's relation to the drug habit and that of the layman to it may be summed up in the statement that while the layman does not at all know what he is getting, the doctor knows what he is taking, but thinks that he can stop taking it whenever he feels ready. It is probable, therefore, that the doctor's primary danger is as great as the layman's, and it is certainly true that his secondary danger, that growing out of the fact that he has drugs and the instrument for their administration always ready to his hand, is very much greater. The unnecessary administration of habit-forming drugs to the sick must be legally prevented as far as possible. No affliction which can be added to an already existing physical trouble can compare in horror with that of a drug habit. Numbers of cases have come under my observation in which physicians have accomplished exactly this addition to the ruin of their patients' health, to the incalculable distress of the sufferers' families, and to the vast loss of society. In the recent legislation, written upon the statute books of New York State, the first definite effort is made to provide against this catastrophe. End of chapter 3